We're continuing in a sermon series about the last moments, the last acts, the last words of Jesus' public ministry. How does he finish well? How is it you and I, in our relationships or our work or our ministries, how do you and I need to finish well? And last week we looked at how he throughout his public ministry, but you see it so clearly at the end, he continues to be available to people in need. And that's a call upon our lives to follow his model, but just as a reminder, he still does that today. The book of Hebrews says he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Wherever you are, whatever need you have, bring it to him because he is still available for us. I, you, I don't have time to share it in Mark's gospel, but you just see it over and over again, this word compassion. That Jesus was moved for compassion for everyday needs. You see it in this chapter when, when they're hungry and they're going to faint because they haven't eaten or because people are lost. Whatever our need is, what we see, this constant picture of Jesus is, he's moved in his belly for hurts, for those who are on the outs, even for everyday needs. How is it you and I need to say, I believe, I believe you're available to me today. Do you need to let him minister to you? He will do that. Yes, he calls us to go and do that, but have, have, have you felt like you could, like the woman with the blood issue, or last week, uh, do you feel you can interrupt Jesus and he would stop for you? Scripture says he, he always does. How do you need to receive from him? But let's look at our, our passage today. What, are, what do we see here? How does he finish well? Last week, we see his availability to people and their hurts and in their needs. Today, we see his intentionality with people, especially in their lostness, uh, because they're far from God, we see how Jesus is modeling for these disciples, this is what you are to be about. Watch my life, and he does it throughout his public ministry, but he does it so marvelously at the end of his ministry, watch my life. So if you have your Bibles open in Mark's gospel, we see this all the time. This kind of intentionality of Jesus to take these disciples outside of his comfort zone. Here in chapter 8, go down to verse, there at verse 31. He does this all the time. Here's another example of that where he takes his disciples to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now we read that and we don't think much about it. But the other side, if I said, hey, we're going to the other side of our town you may not think much about it. If I said, hey, we're going to go to Chicago, you might think, hey, let's go to Chicago. If I said we're going to West Englewood in Chicago, it's different than Michigan Avenue. You would say, oh, that side of town. And so that's where it is in the Sea of Galilee. Wild things, pagan things happen on that side. Do you remember when Jesus casts out legion? and he puts them in the swine, that's exactly where it happens on that side because there's loose living, there's not adherence to the law for even any Jews who live there. That's that side. And he keeps taking his disciples there over and over again. When you get to the, to the next chapter, Mark chapter 9, again, it's this continuing focus for others. He's badgering his disciples. I am here to receive children. And then he ends with talking again about being salt. This is constant talk and practice of reaching people. Almost a frustration in Jesus. Get those kids 
to me. Bring them to me. This is why I'm, I'm here, is to reach those who are on the outs, those who are hurting, those who need me. And then you get to the, the last chapter of Jesus' public ministry in Mark, over in chapter 10. You've got what, if you read it and you listen to what the Bible commentator says, it's almost a heartbreaking conversation with this rich young ruler. You can almost hear Jesus struggle with what he's saying. You're so close. Let me give you the one thing. If you would do this, and he walks away. It's one of the unresolved stories we have. We don't know what happened. But you can tell in Jesus' interaction, again, this is most Bible scholars, you can almost tell his heartbreak that he's walking, and he's walking for good. It's Jesus trying to reach those who are so close. And then in Mark 10, 46, his, his ministry here really ends in Jericho right before he goes to Jerusalem to die for us. Now, wait a minute. If you've read Luke's gospel, what does Luke say about Jesus after the, our passage today, after Caesarea Philippi, and then after the transfiguration, what does Luke say about Jesus? He set his face to Jerusalem. It is a death march from that point north all the way south. I am going to go now to die. But Mark says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's, there's this quick jaunt. There's this little trip over to Jericho. Why? This is the heart of God. This is why this, the second person of the Trinity was sent. It's why Jesus willingly came and humbled himself so that he could reach people by going to his cross and being a ransom to serve us and not to be served. Why Jericho? You know the story. How does the public ministry end? Let me get one more. Bartimaeus. Let, let me get one more who needs healing. Let me get one more who needs to get on the road and to follow. And it's just like Jesus to end his ministry with an intentional reach. Let me get one more. That's the pattern and that's what we see here. Now I've, I've preached on this passage before back in February of 2017. You can go back. We didn't have video back then. We do have an audio file if you want to go back and uh, listen to that on our website. But the quick backdrop of this, when we read that, okay, there he asks some questions. Who do people say that I am? We can kind of miss, if we're not, if we're not reading some commentaries on that, we're going to miss kind of the backdrop. Caesarea Philippi, what do you know about that place? Because that's where Jesus initiates the question, what are other people saying about me? Well, quickly, and you can go back and, and learn more from that other passage, but on the top of that mountain, in the mountain rest, uh, region of Caesarea Philippi, on the top of that mountain was a white marble uh, temple to Caesar, who was worshipped basically as God. There is the political idol of the day. Who do you say that I am in light of that? And then he's standing in front of a mountain that was dedicated to the half-man, half-goat god Pan and also to two woodland nymphs. And I won't even tell you what was done on that mountain to arouse the gods to get them to respond in the midst of all that perversity and these gods who will get you what you want who do you say that I am? And then right behind him, you've also got this big gaping hole, this cave that in, in wrong thinking, their mythology for people who lived up there, that was, that was where you went when you died. That was, 
that was the way to the abyss or Sheol or Abaddon. Matter of fact, they had built gates there. You remember in other gospels where Jesus says, the gates of hell will not stand against it? Well, there were the gates of hell. And he says, who do you, in the midst of your fear and the worries of the dead, who do you say that I am? And if I were one of these boys' mamas or daddies, you took my kid there? It's one thing to take him to Jerusalem with all those hypocrites and those self-righteous people, but you took him far up north with a hat, with a goat playing, flute playing goat god and Caesar, the enemy oppressor, you took him to that wild place. Jesus is routinely, you see it throughout Mark's gospel, he's routinely taking his disciples to places that are well outside of his comfort zone. I'll tell you a story. I've told a few of this privately, but I want to tell you a story about my senior trip in high school. My mom had, uh, I thought maybe it was about worry with friends. I had become a believer right before high school. I don't know why it would be a worry for her. But she says, you know what, I'm going to send you on your own senior trip. Now, before I tell this story, I'm going to look everybody in the eye because I'm going to get some emails on this. I really enjoy sci-fi, okay? I'm actually rereading a six-volume sci-fi series, my favorite sci-fi. I enjoy sci-fi, okay? I grew up in the 70s. Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Star Trek, Space 1999. I watched Lost in Space before church every Sunday. That was my routine. So don't get mad at me what I'm about to tell you. Everybody good? All right. So mom says, hey, I want to... I wanna, Send you on your own senior trip. Don't go with the boys. Go on your own. And it's going to be a cruise to the Bahamas. So, whoa. Number one, I'm 18, and I'm thinking what? Buffets all day. That's what I'm thinking about, right? I'm just thinking, I'm a preacher. I'm thinking about buffets all day. But that'll be cool. Go snorkeling, go do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Signs it up, puts a deposit down. Uh, Two, three, four weeks later, she says, oh, by the way, I'm going with you. Okay. Two, three, four weeks later. Oh, by the way, it's a Star Trek cruise. Let me get this right. I'm going to be the only 18-year-old on the boat, and everybody's going to be 40 to 50 and older and dressed as Vulcans and Klingons, and that's my senior trip? Oh, yeah. Okay. I got to hang out with Scotty. That was kind of fun. I got to hang out with him if you've seen Star Trek. Uh, I was kind of uncomfortable a lot of that trip. It just was different. As an 18-year-old kid in the 20 to 33, there was, there was not anybody. I think I found two kids kind of close to my age. One guy was three or four years younger, another person three or four years older. That was it. I was out of my comfort zone because I wasn't wearing a costume. What you see in Mark's gospel is, is much deeper than that. Here's a political god Here's the wildness of the gods. Jesus is always taking these boys who have been told by their mamas, don't you dare go near a place like this. And by the way, as soon as Jesus has died and resurrected and has commissioned them and has ascended, you know what the very first thing they end up doing? They end up going to Caesarea. Watch Peter go near there. And later Paul, watch watch the ministry to an area where if a play called for a murder, if the play called for something perverse, get a slave to do it. 
Mama would never have me around that place. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's where Pilate resides most of the year. The one who oversaw Jesus' execution. I want you to go there. Always outside of a comfort zone. Always pushing his disciples. If there's somebody who has a need, will you go and proclaim a gospel? And it depends on how you even read that, prep, uh, that preposition there. You know in the other gospels it says, when Peter shares, you are the Christ. In another gospel it says, well, my father had to tell you that. You didn't fully get it. And people then say in the other Gospels where it says, on this rock, I'll build my kingdom. What does it mean, on this rock, I'll build my kingdom? What have we been told? Maybe Peter, that Peter's going to be the head of the disciples and it's on this rock. Sure, his, mean, his name means rock. Could it be on this Gospel that I am the Christ? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Those both sound reasonable, plausible, and would fit with what he said. But if you read the press preposition there, it can also be flipped. One uh, Bible commentator says, it's not just on this rock, but against that rock. That rock of political gods, and we got plenty of those. We need to hear the opening hymn today, Cast Your Idol Down. All kinds of hedonism, all those gods, we got plenty of those. We need to cast that idol down against that rock. To a world that's lost, to, to crazy politics and to crazy choices in life, would you take the gospel to those folks so they can know that I'm the Christ? He's routinely taking his disciples to places where people desperately need to see and hear the gospel. How is it you and I will let Jesus lead us by his spirit this week to step out and into a place I'm, I'm just not comfortable doing that. But you know what? Somebody might get to know Jesus. Somebody through my, my model in life or my compassion or, or the way I speak or even if I get to, as our opening hymn said again, I get to proclaim the story. I actually have this opportunity come up where I can even speak the gospel truth. Maybe somebody will get to know him. How is it you and I need to be open as you see throughout his entire public ministry, but he finishes so well here, stepping out, going to places that might be uncomfortable, might be out of the way, but there are people there who need to know Jesus. How will you and I tell it? Now, go down to the last verse in our passage today because I just did a preacher cheat. What does the last verse say in verse 30? Don't tell anyone. Well, preacher, how are you making this stretch to tell us to go tell people about Jesus when, when he clearly says don't tell anyone? Well, I'm glad you asked, and here's, here's what we need to do. We need to look at what follows that verse. Looking at the next verse and following all of what happens in Mark's gospel and, and before, Jesus has been doing this throughout the whole gospel telling people don't tell. We just need to understand why that is. He's been telling people not to tell about who he is and about his ministry since chapter one. Since the very, one of the very first miracles, he says, don't tell anybody about it. As Renee said last week, they're not very good about holding that secret back. 
But he tells them, don't tell there. He tells them in Mark chapter 5 with Jairus' daughter, don't tell anybody. Uh, last week's passage, don't tell anybody. Right here, don't talk about this revelation of who I am, that I'm the Christ. And then you get to the next passage, uh, the next chapter on the transfiguration. And after he is transfigured right before him, he says, listen, don't tell anybody about that either. It's routine. And it's not just with his disciples or people who get healed. Go back to chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. You're going to come out of him, demon. By the way, quit talking about who I am. Because they knew who Jesus was. You will be silent. Don't talk about me. Don't talk. So he's been silencing people from chapter 1 all the way through his public ministry. But going down to verse 31, now he begins, and here's the reason most people believe why this happens. Verse 31, Jesus now starts openly talking about his death. He's going to do that three times in Mark's gospel. And it's interesting. On either side of those three, on either side of those three times where he's talking about his death, are healings of blind people. And it's almost this idea that you all, you can't see. Now I'm going to tell you three times who, who I am and why I've come, but really you can't see. There's going to be a moment where you can see, but until that moment happens, you all don't talk, whether it's people or whether it's the demonic. Maybe it's because partly, too, Jesus knows that people will love to pigeonhole you. Boy, he's a great healer, or what a teacher, or even this misuse the word Christ, that you're the political Messiah who's going to set us free. I'll only be known by the heart of who I am. Listen, my, everybody who has children or you've worked with the children of our church, you know everybody. God has uniquely made everybody. Case in point, my two sons. Very much alike, but very distinct. I mean, you can, I just know Joseph is Joseph and Seth is Seth. Joseph was, I think, five, and he saw a little frog outside of my parents' house. And I knew what his response was going to be before he even saw it. He was very tentative, very careful, didn't even want to touch it, but just kind of patted it on his head. Oh, a frog. My two-year-old Seth, sadly, I should have intervened because I knew what his response was going to be. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're very different, very unique, and I know the differences. Peter says here, and again, it's revealed to him by God, that Jesus is the Christ. But even Peter doesn't fully get it because what happens, as you keep reading down, go down to verse 32, what happens? Jesus begins to say, I'm going to die. And what does Peter do? Jesus, come here. You're not going to do that. Yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. This is the heart of why Jesus has come. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I've been with you all now a couple of years, and I've been spilling out my heart and my compassion for others, and here it is. I've just made this revelation to you. I am going to die. Come here, Jesus. Listen, we're not, we're not doing that. We'll talk more about that in, in the coming weeks. But they don't even get the heart of the gospel. Who does? 
When is it that somebody finally sees that this is the very Son of God? Healer? Yes. Messiah? Yes. He'll come in free. They don't understand exactly how. Teacher? Yes. But when, the, when do they finally and rightly and fully see this is the very Son of God? Mark 15. And I've said it before with you all before, but it's, it's a guy who's violent a guy who's a foreigner, a guy who's an oppressor, and a guy who shouldn't have a clue. But when that centurion watches Jesus die, surely this is the Son of God. The cross, the cross bearer, that's when we can see. That's when eyes are open. Now go tell that. You don't have a clue about who I am. There are pictures and there are hints, but until I get here, this is the heart of why I came. This is, this is the climax of why I came. Now go and tell that. Matter of fact, that's exactly what happens in the next chapter at the Transfiguration. After, after Jesus is coming off that mountain, he says, don't tell it, but here's what he says. Until I've been resurrected. Once you see the cross and the resurrection, now you can begin to tell who I am. Because you don't fully and you'll never fully understand me until that moment. Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? It's a question for us too. I pray he's been healer to you. I pray he's been teacher to you. Uh, but at the heart of it, we all have to answer that question. Everyone, as we heard so beautifully sung this morning, everybody needs a Savior and he is mighty to save. Uh, for those of us who are watching, for those of us in this room, have you said to Jesus, you are the Christ, and you are my Savior? And if you have, then we have to go and tell. It can't be a secret any longer. Jesus was intentional to take his disciples outside to places that were outside their comfort zone so that he could reach those who were hurting, those who were struggling, those who needed the gospel. How will you and I be willing to do that, expecting God to work in that way? Or maybe it's today, and our staff would love to pray with you. Maybe for somebody who wants to comment uh, this morning, and, and we'll, 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 we'll reconnect with you to say, I need to say today that Jesus is the Christ. I need to say it today. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for the good news that your son Jesus uh, loved us so much that he not only left heaven, but he went everywhere to reach all who would receive. And Father, our prayer is that we'd be sensitive to your leading, to your word, to your spirit, that you would allow us to be a part of proclaiming Jesus' story, the good news, that he was the cross-bearer for us, that he is the resurrection and the life. So that's our prayer, that we would be, through our our, our words, our attitudes, our example, but also through just telling our story, to, through the way that we listen, through the way that we're available, and the way that we're ready to tell our story about how we met your son Jesus. Would you make us your ambassadors even this week, always ready and willing to go outside our comfort zones? Father, if there are any, people here today, people who are watching uh, that need to say your son is the Christ and, and receive that good news that, that we needed, our deepest need is not a healing or to free a political oppressor. Our deepest need is we have a sin issue. 
and that Jesus Christ, the cross-bearer, paid that ransom so that we could be free from sin and also from death. So I just pray that all who need to turn to him today as we see throughout this gospel, he'll do that. He'll meet us there, and he will be mighty to save. All these things we pray in his name for his glory, in Jesus' name, amen.